0: Hi, this is Steve. Almost four years ago, on April 8th, 2016, I sat down in my living room with John Rocha to record the very first episode of The Cinephiles. The film was one of our favorites, Steven Spielberg's 1981 classic Raiders of the Lost Ark. Of course, today, a discussion of such an important movie would have gone at least a couple of hours, and maybe more. But The Cinephiles was very different back then, and while we had an interesting conversation... The truth is, we barely scratched the surface. So it wasn't surprising to either of us when we asked all of you which of our earliest podcasts you'd like us to redo on our listener survey, you overwhelmingly picked Raiders of the Lost Ark. And the truth is, I'm glad you did, because not only did it allow us to revisit one of our favorite movies, but to do so this time with one of our favorite guests, actor, animation writer, and co-host of the Geek Buddies, Shannon McClung. And... If you'd like to learn a bit more about that guest, you can visit patreon.com slash thecinephiles, where we have an all-new Cinephiles short featuring an exclusive interview with Shannon. Now, if by some miracle you've never seen Raiders, grab your whip, hat, and trusty revolver and journey to cinephiles.net, where you can buy or stream this week's film along with every other movie we've ever reviewed. Then come back on Friday to hear part one of a seriously in-depth exploration of Raiders of the Lost Ark with special guest, Shannon McClung.
1: Nearly 3,000 years, man has been searching for the Lost Ark. That's something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets. It's like nothing you've ever gone after before.
2: <laughs> oh, Marcus... What are you trying to do, scare me? You sound like my mother. We've known each other for a long time. I don't believe in magic, a lot of superstitious hocus pocus. I'm going after a find of incredible historical significance. You're talking about the boogeyman. Besides, you know what a cautious fellow I am. (laughs)
0: Welcome once again to the Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, a writer, producer, and host over at the Outlaw Nation, and film critic as well, uh, and uh, excited to, it, I I don't know, excited to open the door to an our first episode
0: That's right. ever- and redo it in the new cinephiles format. Well, this is this thing. it came up we we, we were talking about it yeah. over the last few months is that it took us, you know, 6 months before we kind of found our way. Yeah, 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 And some of our favorite films of all time were movies we recorded in the first 6 months and we put it out there to all of you and you know, on our survey and said, which one of these movies would you like us to redo? And overwhelmingly, it was our very first episode. Yeah. But to make this better, to make this grander, and a, a more epic Cinephiles episode, oh, we oh. felt that the only way we could do this was to bring in one of our favorite guests, yeah. actor, animation writer, and co-host of the fabulous Geek Buddies, <laughs> Shannon McClung. Welcome to the Cinephiles.
3: Oh, thank you so much, gentlemen. I don't know if you, either of you noticed the shirt that I'm wearing today in oh. honor of this <laughs> of this episode. Nice.
1: Nice. For those of you who can't see, it is a first uh, uh, issue of Temple temple raiding archaeologist Nazis and snakes. A nice little version of the Raiders of the Lost uh, with the uh, what's his face? Harrison Ford's character. That guy, Indy Jones. It is he's Indiana, on the front.
3: Indiana Jones in the position of Spider-Man.
1: Nice. <laughs> that is awesome. And we should also give a little bit of love to Luke uh, Lesson, yes, for yes. setting this whole survey up and everything like that for us and, of course,
0: to get Absolutely. the uh, answer from the fans. He's he been a huge help. Uh, he's doing incredible work on yeah. our social media. I'm sure all of you have noticed the difference. So, this, this, in order to do this, I re listened to the episode. Wow, it goes back, it was recorded on April 8th, 2016. God. So it is almost four years ago. What a different world! What a different and, world. And, and here's the thing so, so, we were uh in, in my living room, we sat down, and John and I had been talking about doing this podcast thing. I had never been on a podcast before, I had never done anything like it before. And John said to me, Well, you're going to be the host. Yeah, so because
1: I was doing seven shows at the time, (laughs) and I said if if I'm because Steve came to me, he's like I really want to do this. And the initial iteration was me, Steve, and Jonathan Blue, and we were going to call it I don't know. What do you think? That was going to be the name of the
0: show. The very first idea for doing a podcast.
1: Exactly, and then uh, Steve sat me down. I was like, I really want to do this. Can we do this? Will you be? my co-host for the show. And I said, yes, but here's the deal, because I'm so busy with all these other shows I got going on. You host the show, you set this up, and I will gladly be your co-host on the show. And Steve took that, and you know we've gone forward ever since. But I don't even know how long the first episode was.
0: It was an hour. It was just an hour.
1: It was just an hour, Shannon. All <laughs> oh, the good old
0: days. <laughs> and, 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 and we sat down to record it, and we turned on the mics, and I started talking, and it was really bad and the look you get oh. there was this look that you gave me of of like oh shit what have i gotten what have i said yes to <laughs> and so and then we stopped and then we started again and i am now going to play you oh no. the very first 38 seconds ever recorded for the cinephiles all right hi everybody and welcome to the very first episode of the cinephiles the cinephiles uh my name is steve morris uh, and hi i'm john roca all right this is uh what the Cinephiles is is let me say that again. <laughs> You're doing fine, dude. This is a podcast.
1: See, I'm very supportive.
0: <laughs> yeah, what's funny is is so when I record audio, I'm used to recording narration sitting yeah. in my office while I'm editing a film. Right. And so what I do is I do it nineteen times, do half a sentence, stop, go back, yeah. say it again, say it again, say it again until I get all the pieces I can put together to make a perfect little clip.
1: Wow. That's a lot of effort. That's a lot of effort for you to get it right. It's a lot of perfectionist
0: and <laughs> control freak stuff. So that was the very first thing we ever recorded. And
1: we are still in the same boat. Steve, <laughs> Steve is very much a perfectionist, and I'm like, fly by the seat of my pants.
0: Whatever we say, we say. That is exactly that is exactly true. But I think what happened over time is that we found some balance between the, yes. the perfectionism and the seat of the pants, and you know, and the show really evolved. And I think one of the big things that happened was when we first did it, we sort of just talked about the movie, and yep. inter- and there were things, you know, certainly there was some research, and certainly there were a few clips that we edited in, but we didn't go through the movie piece by piece. And I think mm-hmm. the thing that really changed, and I was thinking about it today, is that whenever you read, so there are great critics out there who talk about film, and there are great articles about film, but they always, because they're fairly short, mm-hmm. give sort of an overview. They sort of general themes, favorite moments, yeah favorite performances, and they highlight little things. But what they don't do is look at all the details. And because my thinking about film is that film is really built Mm -hmm. on all the details. It wasn't until we really started to walk through the movie that we found this other sort of way of talking about movies that I don't think people generally do. Yeah, and guests have
1: always been kind of blown away by that when they've come on to the recent iteration of the last two years of or two and a half years yeah, of the, yeah, of the version half, yeah. of of uh, cinephiles because they've never been on a podcast where people are going scene by scene through the movie uh and i remember specifically perry nemaroff after she was finished being a guest the next morning at the job she came up to you, she goes i don't know how you do that every week it's like you're reliving the movie all over again and breaking it down step by step because that seems like so arduous of a process. But what we have found is that the fans love that process, love listening to the process, and it makes them fall back in love with the movie and then discover way new things about the movie they might not have seen before. And I think both of us have discovered oh, that totally. as we've done Absolutely. the shows as well.
3: Yeah. I know by the time, like the, what I've been on for Terminator, Terminator 2, and Back to the Future. Right. Mm. By the end, probably mostly Terminator 2 like I was gassed I was like I don't know how I don't know how you guys do
0: this all the time I really don't <laughs> it's uh well that's why occasionally John or I call each other it's like dude I need a break yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's where the fans understand when yeah. we
1: take an occasional week off which isn't often uh, it is, there's so much more for yeah. them to catch up on because I, I think the fans sometimes go back and re-listen to these episodes. That's what's been the most amazing thing, Steve. They'll re-listen to them over and over and over. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Hours
0: and hours of us talking. Well, I think part of what happened is because we go through the movie yeah. is that you're reliving the movie a little bit. Like when you listen to a piece of criticism, it can be really interesting, mm-hmm. but you don't have the emotional response that you have from watching the movie. And we get a little bit of that. Yeah. Here's this moment, you know, that's really exciting. Yeah. And so speaking of this, uh, one of the reasons we picked Raiders of the Lost Ark so long ago is this is one of my all-time favorite films. Mm -hmm. It's just one of the movies that I I could go back and watch it over and over and over again. Um, Shannon, do you remember how you first came to this film?
3: I do. Um, I mean, I would have seen it on HBO because it came out in 81, correct? Mm -hmm. Um, I remember how I became aware of it was because of a comic book. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know if comic books still do this, but they put little uh, advertisements in it. And there was an ad in an old comic book for the action figures for Raiders of the Lost Ark that they had sort of a G.I. Joe aesthetic. And I remember seeing that in an old comic book and showing my mom like, hey, I want this. And she saw the title. She's like, oh, that's that's on that's on HBO. And so I sat down and watched the movie. And I don't think I I don't think I watched it from beginning to end, but I remember just being Fascinated, right. like at that time, I was already a huge, huge Star Wars kid. But seeing, um, seeing just the action figure come to life, I was like, "This is I, I, I want to see more of this." And it was right after that the Temple of Doom came out. Oh, ah, gotcha. Mm. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I don't, I don't, I don't mind like <laughs> Temple of Doom. I, I don't understand why people like that movie. Um, for me, it was I. It, this was that time where I was able to speak to my parents and tell them please, I want to go see this movie. And they would take me to go see the movie, you know? And so Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think, if I remember correctly, was... The film that I, one of the first few films that I saw a trailer was just blown away by, and I think I'm 10 or 11 at this time, and then you hear that theme song. You're like, oh, I gotta go, right? And so my my dad and my mom took me to go see it. I think with my brother as well. We all went to the theater to go see the movie, and, you know, it put the hook in me, but good. Because then when the VHS came out, that was on rotation with my oh, yeah. high school or middle school group of friends all that you get together for a party, you put on Raiders of the
0: Lost Ark. It was always the absolutely, concept. yeah, right. So it's funny because I, I, of course, I told this story f- almost four years ago, mm. but but uh, I heard about this movie. I hadn't seen a trailer, I hadn't seen a commercial, and I was at my my sister's boyfriend's house, talking to her younger brother, Ross, Hmm. and Ross said, oh, I just saw the best movie. It's called Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, I didn't even know that the Ark was the Ark of the Covenant. I I didn't know what that meant at all, because I hadn't seen anything. And I said, what's the movie about? And he said, oh, it's like a fighting Nazis with machine guns movie. Which is a terrible description. I mean, those things happen <laughs> I mean, in the it's film. Correct. But <laughs> but, so I went, and that is literally all I knew when I went to see Raiders of the Lost Ark wow. at the Cinema One in Madera, and I sat down there. And it's one of those movies that I can remember that f- I have a few times in my life I have had this feeling like electricity was going over my whole body when I was watching the film, and I remember just being so blown away by it because as a comic book geek, and I said this was like. Maybe in some ways as as much as or maybe even more than Star Wars of like this is the kind of movie I was waiting for. Yeah. You know, it's such a profound experience the first time I saw it. The
1: actions and the stunts. I remember that I have always kept in my mind when he disappears over the front of the truck and then goes under the truck. I had never seen a stunt like that. I didn't know human beings could do that, right? At ten or eleven, you watch that and you're just like what just happened? Like your mind is so blown by that possibility because
0: you don't know stunt man at this right. time. You don't know whatever's going, you're just blown away by that possibility. Well, and I knew enough to know that it was referencing, because maybe, maybe this is where me being two years older than you mm. actually makes a difference because I knew enough to know that it was referencing these older like serials and things like that. Right. And it was this sort of hearkening back to it and I knew that it was elevating it to this other level at 13 and I was just like, this is amazing. Did you remember if you had a crush on
1: Marion Ravenwood I have at no all? No memory
0: of that okay.
1: feeling at all. Just you you respected that she was could have been Indie's girl. Sure. Yeah, okay. Sure. <laughs> It's an interesting question. No, no, because, Did like, you, you know, have a crush on her? Yeah, well, no, no, no. There were there were people, though, at like 11, 12, 13 years old that I'd go see movies and have crushes on. Oh, certainly. Sure. So I didn't know, such in adventure films or whatever. Yeah. So I didn't know if necessarily you might have had a crush on, on Mary and I Raiden don't World. remember having that feeling.
0: Fair enough. Princess
3: Leia and Return yeah, of yeah, the, the, the Yeah, Leia. Princess Leia. The the slave, <laughs> the, the gold
0: bikini. So a little bit of uh, pre-production. What I didn't realize is that this, while George Lucas was writing the original Star Wars script in 1973 with Luke Starkiller, he was also coming up with a script called The Adventures of Indiana Smith. I didn't realize it went back that far.
3: Yeah, he had the idea for Indiana Jones before Star Wars.
0: Yeah. And the guy that was that came up with the idea, and this I didn't know either, the guy who came up with the idea for the Ark of the Covenant being the thing that they're going after is director Philip Kaufman. Mm. I had no idea <laughs> that the right stuff and the unbearable lightness of being guy in <laughs> Henry and June that that guy actually came up with the lost Ark. But then it got shelved, you yeah. know, and it got put away. And, and uh, the famous stories that Spielberg and Lucas are vacationing in Hawaii and while building a sandcastle on the beach as to you know, adult gentleman <laughs> directors do. Honey, don't go over there. <laughs> Spielberg says, I really want to do a James Bond movie. And Lucas says, you don't want to do that. You want to do Indiana Smith. And they talk about this idea. And he says, well, I don't like the name Smith. I like the name. And they go, well, how about Jones? She's like, okay. And yes, the name Indiana does come from, that's George Lucas's dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah,
3: That was also the inspiration
0: for Chewbacca. And, yes, right. And the way they the way that they got this got written they they met Lawrence Kasdan or Lucas had who was writing Empire Strikes Back. Obviously, goes on to be a great writer, and you know, so grateful that George Lucas wasn't writing these things. <laughs> and this this part I didn't know was that from January twenty third through twenty seventh in nineteen seventy eight, Spielberg, Lucas, and Can- Kasdan spent all day in a room together talking about this movie. Wow, nine hours a day. And Kazdin recorded it all. Wow! wow. So there are a hundred hours of this conversation, and that record; those recordings are what are the basis for this script. Where wow. are these recordings? That's what I was thinking about. Yeah, right? Like I would love to hear that. And there's all sorts of things like a mine car race, and all these, like a whole bunch of the ideas which ends up be- being in right. Temple of Doom. Wow. Um, yeah, it, it's one. Of, it's I, what it reminded me of is there's that lunch, the famous Pixar lunch where they came up with like seven of, they came up yes. with a whole bunch of the Pixar ideas. Wally and Finding Nemo and all this stuff came out of this one long lunch of the Pixar brain test. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, in nine hours in a writer's room now, I mean, I, I don't have that deep a resume writing-wise, but I know in the writer's rooms that I have been in, after about hour five, and that's yeah. including a lunch, you're ready to mm-hmm. bounce, you're bouncing off the walls at that point. You're ready to kill somebody. Yeah. So to think that... Add another four hours onto that, and what they did it for a week.
1: Yeah, holy crap! And not even at a writer's room; they're in a hotel room, I imagine.
3: I, or no,
2: I don't probably. know,
1: or someone's I know. house, I imagine. So you're just like you go and stir crazy. Maybe you take a walk around the neighborhood to try to process this kind of stuff and see. But it certainly must have been important to them to take this amount of time, right. concentrated over a certain amount of days, to get this squared away.
0: When you think about, I mean, what three brilliant people? Yeah, you know you know, spitballing story, that must have been an amazing conversation. And all three good at different things. Totally. 100%. Um, And what's crazy to me is that after Jaws, this is after Star Wars, after Close Encounters, no studio wanted it. Yeah. That's amazing to me. Well, artists are artists,
1: studios are money people. And they're like, no one's going to go see a film about something set in the 1950s or 40s, and they're trying to get an Ark of the Covenant religion you know right like maybe they' yeah. were just like this is and this is around the time of like Beastmaster and crawl and all these weird sci-fi adventure films or treasure hunt films that are around at the same time as well so maybe they thought to themselves no one's gonna go see this it's not gonna make a lot of money well that
3: and also uh Lucas had allegedly quoted them a budget and like I think we can do this for this amount of money like I think thought, I think he said 25 million dollars and nobody believed him like there's right. no way oh, that you can right. pull
0: this off with that amount of money huh. Um. Finally, Paramount said they'd do it for $20 million. So I think Lucas came down. And here's the one other thing I want to talk about, which is we think about Spielberg as the boy genius who comes on the scene and is just instantly a great director. And, and certainly, there's truth to that. Yeah. But what I find interesting, and this I've seen in a couple of interviews with Spielberg, is that Raiders is really the product of him learning a bunch of lessons. So one of them is that on Jaws, he had this idea for the movie, and then the shark didn't work. And then he had to come up with all these inventive things Mm -hmm. to compensate for the fact that the shark didn't work and what he realized was he's like oh the audience liked those things being inventive and creative in the way that you do things is actually what pleases the audience more than seeing the shark so one of the one of the lessons that he took from that which we see consistently in raiders is continually be inventive in your storytelling and then the other thing is is that while close encounters is a huge success it's also a movie that went crazy over budget hmm. and that he felt that he had been really self-indulgent and that he felt that he shouldn't have a totally unlimited budget. And even more so with 1941, where oh, the budget God. for 1941 is $35 million Jeez. for a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously 1941 is a, is a train wreck. Um, it is. A f- I actually kind of want to watch it again. I haven't watched it in 10 years or so. and Because I'm sort of c- curious to watch a clear genius right. working with a ton of talented people make a not great movie. Also set in the 1940s. Also set in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. And he felt that he had really been way too indulgent. And he really wanted to make with Raiders a movie that cost less money, had more limitations. And he really wanted to get it in... On budget and on time. Yeah. And the, and, and so the discipline and, and the inventiveness are the lessons that he's learned that he took to make Raiders.
3: Yeah, I think giving a filmmaker a blank check is not always no. the best idea. Yeah. You gotta know which filmmaker to
0: do that with, yeah. Um, would you like to get into Raiders of the Lost Ark? Let's uh, do it! Let's do it. Well, how does he get cast, first of all? Isn't it supposed to be Tom Selleck? Oh, that's, right, I should, we should I'm talk sorry. about should that, start. yeah. So so um, Lucas's original idea, coming, he really didn't want his worlds to mix. Yeah. And so he didn't, when he was casting Star Wars, he didn't want to work with anybody he had ever worked with before on THX 1138 or on American Graffiti. But then he couldn't find anyone to play Han Solo, and there was his carpenter who had been in American Graffiti, and he goes, okay, Harrison Ford will play it. Well, and that was also after he helped them read. Right, because he had, he had oh, read with yeah. all the characters. Yep. And then we get to um, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And again, he's like, I don't want to work with anyone <laughs> that we worked with before. And yeah, Tom Selleck was originally supposed to do yeah. it. yeah, Which How's
3: his fun? screen test is on the DVD, is on the Blu-ray. Oh, wow. And his screen test, it's him and Sean Young. Tom Selleck is fantastic.
1: And then Sean Young.
3: Yep, she was she was screen wow. testing for Marion. And then he couldn't do it, and I can't remember Magnum PI. He was Mag- They wouldn't was let him Magnum. out the contract wow. to, do, yeah. to the movie. Like he he had the part. And then
1: the head of CBS said we have a we have a pilot commitment. Yeah. 80s TV was rough to get out of. 80 like uh Remington Steele could not do, James Bond, don't do yep. James Bond because of Remington Steel. I mean Pierce Brosnan because of Remington Steel. Don't mess
0: around with the 80s uh, TV at that time. Well, the like same... Guys. I mean, they barely got Michael J. Fox to do Back to the Future, actual, right? to actual, about. yeah. That's another great point, yeah. My guess is Spielberg always kind of wanted Harrison Ford, you mm-hmm. know? And then when Tom Selleck falls through, he's like, uh, you know... <laughs> Perfect. Look at this guy. All right, let's get into the film. Just from the moment of the Paramount Symbol dissolving into the mountain i knew i liked this movie. (laughs) i think this is goes down as one of the great opening sequences in the history of film yes agreed you know who
3: found that mountain who frank marshall oh really when they were on when they were shooting in hawaii spielberg said i need a mountain that looks like the paramount mountain and so he had to drive around the islands looking for a mountain that was comparable to paramount's logo and this
1: is before the internet oh yeah he's driving (laughs) around for days probably (laughs)
0: A, by the way, looking for locations is it just takes forever. It just it's just a lot of driving. Can't imagine. Trying to find the right place with the right access, with the right power, or whatever it is, it takes a long time. <laughs> and this is shot in Kauai, where they would later shoot Jurassic Park. The music is creepy. And the first thing we see is Indy's back. Because we are gonna withhold Indiana Jones. Because Spielberg knows that great characters deserve great entrances. Mm. And we're with some guys. And one of those guys is Alfred Molina. Yes, <laughs> I think this is his first movie role. It is. Mm-hmm. That's his first. That movie. is amazing. That this guy playing this really iconic but small part mm-hmm. goes on to be one of the great actors. You know, uh, incredible. And the shots are beautiful as we move through the woods, and they've got their their burrows and pack animals and bags, and they've obviously going a long time. And I always after and it works perfectly. This is not a criticism. You're right. There's a plane like 200 yards away <laughs> <laughs> that obviously he knows about. <laughs> what, why do they have these burrows? It seems like they've been packing through the woods for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have paved roads. It's supposed to be in Peru, right? Yeah. Yeah. They don't pave roads in Peru at that time in the jungle. It's true. And they're, uh, you know, kind of macheting their way through the jungle. They see this statue and bats fly out of the, out of the mouth and with some screaming and scaring and... Uh, Uh, And we go past the stream and we see a dart and a tree and Indy whose face we still have not seen, touches it, feels it, drops it. Melina and the other guy runs up and Alfred Melina says.
1: Poison is still fresh. Three days. They're following us.
0: And the other guy says, if they knew we were here, they would have killed us already. It was a great opening.
3: And the tribe's name was Jovito. The Hovito. Right? The Hovito. Ooh, yeah. I don't remember
0: that. It's be yeah. a question. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, at the water, he's still silhouetted. Silhouettes and shadows are very important in Indiana Jones movies. And he holds out his hand for the map, and we see him looking at a map. The map is in the foreground, and Molina is in the background. And then we see that other guy pull a gun. And Indy hears that trigger, you know, the hammer being pulled back. And we have the whip come out and the gunshot. And stepping into the light with the dramatic music is Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. I mean, this is great. It's just such a good intro. Um, And now we're heading into the cave. And we hear that this is where Forrestal cashed in.
3: A friend of yours. A competitor. He was good.
2: He was very, very good.
0: And while he's talking, what's he doing? He's reaching down, pulled out like a burlap sack, mm. and he's putting sand in the burlap sack. I think this is such a great touch because the audience goes, what, what is this? Yeah. What's this for? And this is a classic and great screenwriting, and Lawrence Kasdan is great screenwriting. Plants and payoffs, creating mystery. We're doing it right here at the beginning. And Molina says, senor, no one has come out of there alive, and is begging not to go in please we're going in go through some cobwebs into this cave the music is creepy and molina looks up and sees a some tarantula crawling across indiana jones's shoulder a bunch of tarantulas <laughs> then indiana jones looks over at alpha molina and it's a little tarantula crawls over his shoulder yeah. this creeped me out as a kid oh yeah <laughs> So these are uh tra- the tarantulas are not poisonous, these are not dangerous spiders to humans at all. They are dangerous to each other. They are cannibals. And so on those on his back, that is not all live tarantulas. That is a whole that is a bunch of live tarantulas separated by fake tarantulas wow. so that they don't eat each other on Molina's back.
1: Wow. <laughs> yeah. Cannibal spiders. Yeah.
0: They've even heard of that. Um and then we go up, come up and there's a beam of light, a shaft of light coming into the cave. And Indiana Jones says, stay out of the light. And we get around the light, and he puts his hand into the light, and out comes spikes and a skeleton. And what's so, and this is a technique he uses twice in this movie, is that Alfred Molina screams, mm-hmm. but we see the scream as coming out of the mouth of the rotting skeleton head as it turns. Right. <laughs> Scared the crap out of me as
3: a kid. (laughs) And also had that great symphonic sting
0: from John Williams. Oh, amazing. Um, And now we get kind of a change in the music. We've gotten past the scary moment, and now it's more adventurous as we swing across this pit with the whip. And then uh, Molina swings across it, almost doesn't make it. Indy saves him by grabbing his belt, leaves the whip tied up there. That's an important plant. Mm. And we go into the main room. And again, Indy is silhouetted. He steps into the light and Alfred Molina's character goes, there's nothing to fear here. <laughs> it's like, what did, you, did you see the
3: lights and the spider and like the pit like paying attention? I was just holding on to you by
0: your belt. Yeah, yeah. like it's a minute ago. Um, I feel better now. <laughs> and, and he goes, that's what scares me. And he looks down and there are these, you know. Pavers, these these stones covered in moss, and he kind of finds the edge of one, and he takes a torch and he pushes on it. Poison dart in the torch. Yeah, <laughs> great. I wonder how much of this
1: was influenced by early. Video games, right? Like, is this before video games come this out? Is, this is this is before Pitfall, this, Harry, and before. I think
0: Pitfall is after this. Yeah. I I I think that Pitfall is inspired by this.
1: Yeah, I wonder
0: about it. You know, this
1: idea of the method, uh, the methodical approach to different traps and different things going through. Of course, I'm, I'm sure we've seen this on in other films in the 40s and 50s that did that kind of stuff, or maybe read in the serials that they based it on.
0: Well, I mean, certainly yeah. there's the Mummy and there's the uh, what's the. uh the, there's like the lost city of something, and there's the yeah. there's the African, I forget what there's a bunch of sort of adventures to go mm. find the treasure is an old classic, you know, right. movie trope. Right. Um uh Indy walks very, very carefully through these this room towards what I should have said before is a beautiful, perfectly shiny gold statue mm-hmm. at the far end, being very careful not to step on any of these things. He gets in front of the statue. The light is gold streaming onto his face. He kneels down. He rubs his chin, contemplating this moment. The music is rising. He reaches up, he pulls out that bag, and we're like, oh, this is the bag of sand. He looks at the statue again. He pours some sand out of his bag. brings the, And now you figure it out. You're like, oh, he needs to replace it with something that weighs the same. Right. Doesn't he rub his hands and you, yeah. you cut over to Molina doing the Melina's same thing? Melina's rubbing his hands. <laughs>
3: yeah, those big and, eyes. Yeah. And
0: then he makes at the climactic moment of music. He makes the switch. And you're like, and there's a moment of, he did it. Yeah. We're going to be cool. And he turns away, and that pillar, that pedestal that the thing was sitting on, starts to sink down. (laughs) One quick thought that only occurred to me this time that I was watching it. That statue is hollow. Mm. It has to be. Gold is an extremely heavy metal. Right. Like, if there was a solid piece of gold that big, we would have trouble lifting it. But he has to throw sand out in order Mm -hmm. to make it. So that, that must be a hollow gold statue. Gotcha. This is this is this is the important things yeah. you learn by listening to the cinephiles. <laughs> <laughs> but now the panic happens, and he runs out, stepping on all those stones. Darts are flying by. I love the first time I rode the Indiana Jones ride. I was just going to bring that up. And you have you have that moment. You go through that room, and the darts are shooting at you. Amazing.
3: That ride is twenty years old, and it still holds up. It's still wow. one of the best rides they have.
0: It's one of my favorite rides of all time. Absolutely, hundred percent. Um. And he runs out. Things start collapsing. We see Molina swing across that uh, chasm, whatever it is. And now Indiana Jones is there. The whip. Give him the whip. Throw me the idol. No time to argue. Throw me the idol. I throw you the whip. He throws him the idol. (laughs) Adios. What did he say? Adios, senor. Adios, senor. senor, And now... You know, everything's collapsing. What's Indiana Jones going to do? And this is, I think this is one of the secrets of Indiana Jones. There are other characters who would run and jump and make it.
1: Yeah.
0: Indiana Jones never, it's never easy. It's never going to be easy no. for him. He runs and jumps, chest slams into the thing. He manages to grab, uh, you know, a, a root. Like a root, boom, yeah. Coming yeah, yeah. out, and there's a moment where he smiles. And again, for other characters... He would now climb up, yeah, but not for Indiana Jones. It slips out, and he almost falls down, and just manages to get up. And of course, a wall is coming down to close off the passageway. He manages to get under, reaches back, grabs his whip at the last second. Phew, we're cool. Is it his whip or his hat? It's his whip, Okay, which surprises me, because in in everything else, it would be his hat. Interesting. I think they came up with the hat later. Okay, Mm. Um, But I mean, not that they came up with the hat. He has the hat. I think everything's cool. I think we're going to be fine. We've made it out of all. There's no problems. Oh, wait. Giant boulder. One of the most iconic shots in the history of film. Oh, yeah. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old. And this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. So the uh, guy who did the sound is Ben Burtt, who is the sound guy from Star Wars. This is the guy who created the voice for R2-D2 and the Imperial Cruisers and the sound of lightsabers and all that stuff. So now he goes, well, we need to create the sound of a giant boulder. And the boulder has to sound really heavy and it has to accelerate. So it starts slow and goes fast. So what do they do? They get a giant boulder. And they roll it down different surfaces, and they record it, and they record it close, and record it far, and different, you know, different textures of boulders. They ride it over dirt and over gravel. They don't like it. (laughs) They're going. How are we going to make the sound for this thing? And one day they're coming back from set, and they're driving uh, down a windy dirt road in their Honda station wagon. And Ben goes, "Wait a second, turn off the engine." And they ride down this dirt road in neutral, and he leans out the window. And he goes, that's it. And he records a microphone next to the back wheel of a Honda station wagon oh, wow. on a dirt road, and that is the sound of the boulder. Wow. With other stuff too. And I love by the way, the moment again is he's running from the giant boulder when he stumbles. Mm-hmm. So great.
1: That's the thing about Indiana Jones that I think I enjoy the most about um the character is that he has all the heroic tendencies that you've typically seen in all these movies. Except he always has to do that little bit extra to get to the heroic moment, right. to survive the heroic moment, right. right? There's always that little bit. And sometimes it's not even him. Remember when he's holding on to Elsa, Sean has to say, Junior or Indiana or whatever right. he says. And it's like, oh, it shakes him, right? Because he's always... he's he gets No one gets his ass kicked better than Harrison Ford in movies. Yeah. Yeah. He just fully always is kind of the underdog it's ironic what he's been able to do to create an underdog persona as an eventually, as an, I mean, sorry, as a basically a male ingenue.
3: Yeah, when he's constantly in over his head. Yes, right. Always. Well, always. this is,
0: I, I think there is a through line but in terms of these three characters I love, which is Rocky, mm. Indiana Jones, and John McClane. Ah. Is that these are all guys who, it's it's they're not quitting that makes them heroes. Yeah. I mean, they're all talented. They're all good at what they do, but they're always overmatched. You know what I mean? That's what makes it so much fun as opposed to watching an Arnold movie, which I like an Arnold movie too, but Arnold is overmatching everybody else. Right. You know, that's, that's (laughs) part of the, and then you have to have huge odds for him to be under stress. You know, yeah. but, but Indiana Jones is always in trouble. Ar- Arnold is the fantasy we want to be. Yeah. Indiana Jones is who we are. <laughs> and, and in this moment, as just as he's getting away <laughs> from that boulder, he stumbles down outside and looks up, and there he is surrounded by the Jovito. Yeah. A whole bunch of guys with blowguns and bow and arrows, and they're all pointing at him. And now we get to meet our main bad guy, Bellick. Yeah. it's a great bad guy.
3: Paul Freeman, right? Dr. Jones, again, we see there is nothing you can possess which I cannot take away.
0: Because he is another archaeologist. Yeah. Because in this world, this is what archaeologists do. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's a way cooler job. (laughs) Really cool. Well, he
3: has such a great response to him. Like, too bad the Hovitos don't know you the way I do, Belloc. Yeah, <laughs> it's a shame
0: you don't f- speak Hovito. And Indy, the, there's a moment where he goes for his gun, and but they all, you know, th- this isn't going to work. And he takes the idol away, and he holds it up, and all the Hovitos bow because this is like their god. Yeah, and, and he just sneaks away, <laughs> and now he is running away, and and Belloc goes. <laughs> Which means, obviously, kill the guy. Yeah. And he is running, and they are chasing him through the woods, past that bat spish- uh, statue, and now we cut to the seaplane, where there's a pilot who is fishing. And this is where I go, like, well, did he just drop Indy off, like, an hour ago? <laughs> <laughs> like, what exactly is going on? Totally cool. works. Totally works. But he's fishing. And that water looks murky. I yeah, will not eat anything that <laughs> you pull out of there. And, <laughs> right. You know, most water is murky. That You know, most of the fish that you're eating came from water that was... What? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. Oh.
1: That's so why I the... don't go near seafood, man.
0: <laughs> you don't see a lot of, like, like trout swimming in swimming pools, you know? Oh, yeah, I don't eat trout. That's why. Oh, <laughs> uh, <that's> okay. <laughs> he just
1: wants grass-fed fish.
0: I love the way Harrison Ford runs. <laughs> oh, yeah. With the yeah. dust coming off him coming over the hill and all the Vito are coming down <laughs> it's after. It's a great man- m- maniacal run. <laughs> this is <a> great <laughs> man, John. Like every piece of his body is failing.
3: Shirts has- all untucked, hats bent. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: And of course, the reason that you have the guy fishing is that it creates the moment where he has to decide. He has to make the choice. Right. He's caught the fish. He's like, what do I do? And right. he swings off the cliff on the vine and that, this is the first time that we hear the theme. John Williams incredible Indiana Jones theme apparently he presented two themes to Spielberg and he's and Spielberg said can't we use both and that's, of course, what we have. We have the main Indiana Jones theme and we have the secondary theme. Mm-hmm. And this is the main Indiana Jones theme, the dun 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 da And he lands, he swims through with the arrows and the darts coming in around him, manages to get to the plane that has started up. The plane's already started to take off. He climbs up into the plane, gets into the cockpit. And of course, I love that he's in the front seat in this open-air biplane. And then he, and then he looks down. Snake. Snake. It's a python. <laughs> <laughs> now, again, I go like, Did he fly here on this plane? How does he know that this guy doesn't have a snake? If he didn't fly here on this plane, how did he know that Jacques was there with his plane? I just love him yelling about this. (laughs) The panic. Yeah, panic in his voice. The the pointing. And it's so great because we've just watched this person be the coolest, bravest, toughest guy, and now he's scared of a snake.
2: (laughs) I hate snakes, Jacques! I hate them! Come on! Show a little backbone, will ya? (laughs)
3: <laughs> well, in in Orlando at Disney Springs, there is a bar called Jock Lindsay's Hangar Bar. Ah. Nice. That is a themed Indiana Jones bar and restaurant. Oh. Which I mean, I every time I go home to visit my family, I always go to Jock Lindsay's. And you know, they've got his his uh his baseball cap, I believe was it was a Detroit cap or a New York cap? I think it's Detroit, but I'm not sure. It's it's navy blue, but then it's just the coolest bar. And I asked one of the bartenders one time, I'm like, how many tourists come in here? and don't realize it's indiana jones like 95%. wow most people have no idea. they just see a waterfront it's a cool bar. bar. yeah. Yep. wow
1: that's so funny. I'll go to lindsay's. let's head off to university. well also the snake is a plant. Just oh of course, like, oh right? absolutely. The snake is a total plant, that. and that's you've been so good at pointing these things out uh, already in the movie. So this is also another plant that we don't is going to pay off way down the yeah. road. Yeah. Brilliantly done that you almost forget about it then when it happens. Yeah.
0: Well, I think this is such a masterful film in terms of plants and payoffs and getting your exposition out. It's a great movie to study in terms of screenwriting. Yeah. And a lot of times, by the way, screenwriting isn't just the dialogue; it's the things that you're seeing that are being sort of set up ahead of time. Right. Um, I think the cut to. Uh, Indiana Jones teaching in the suit is so great because we're not going to get backstory of this character, but we get, we see him in two different worlds and now we sort of fill in our sense of who this guy is. Right. And he's some reason having trouble spelling Neolithic. And I don't know why he's spelling Neolithic, which means the stone age. And then he's talking about some tomb that are totally unrelated. (laughs) Just think we want to establish that he is an archeologist and he's a professor. Right. (laughs) And then we notice the girl in the front row this is great. who has written love you on her eyelids.
3: Which can you imagine trying to write on your eyelids? That and would I really hurt.
0: <laughs> it would be really. Love does hurt. That's fair. It's fair.
1: And, uh, I remember that scene as a kid. Oh, yeah. Because you're, you're, like, you're like, oh, girls do that. And is that how they tell you they like? Like at that time watching it, I was just like,
0: wow, that's cool. That <laughs> girl will write that on her eyelids for you. And you know?
1: I remember that distinctly when I left the theater. That's cool.
0: Apparently in earlier versions, there's whole scenes of him having relationships with his students Whoa. Yeah. yeah good thing. Well, we're gonna get into the marion backstory which is a little well the thing too is like what i think as a teacher now who teaches young yeah. people is if 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 i had a student who wrote love you on her eyelids in addition to going like this is really weird i would my first thought would be lawsuit <laughs> get right. fired Don't go near like that. this is not <laughs> yeah. this is bad yeah bad all kinds absolutely. of ways absolutely and And another thing he's saying is he's talking about one of the dangers of archaeologists, not to life and limb, although that happens too, yeah, but he talks about the problems with folklore and interpreting folklore and people who rob graves and things like that, all of which are important themes that we deal with in the film, yeah um, and then he's he dismisses his students, and in comes Marcus, then home Elliot, oh,
1: yeah. so good. Also, I think he says all this stuff to kind of show you that he's the good guy. Right. Right? When all cause that's the big thing that people now in twenty twenty with these woke eyes get mad at Indiana Jones because they think we glorify a white guy who goes into these cultures and takes their talismans. Oh yeah. people forget this scene where he's talking about people that actually do it in a negative way. He doesn't do that.
0: Well, I think that the I think they clarified this more later. Like when we get to Last right. Crusades and the the whole this belongs in a museum right motivation it becomes very clear later that that's his main motivation in this movie and in this moment Denholm Elliot comes in and he talks about he lost the thing mm-hmm. I found these other pieces and Denholm's like oh yeah we'll pay well for that yeah the the motivation of being a kind of soldier of fortune is a little higher in this film mm. and the reality is is I think our world has changed in terms of our perception of you know it used to be that. All the British would go to Egypt, and they would take all the stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, there's a certain point where I mean, can you imagine if, if you know, uh, two hundred years from now, when China is ruling the world and America has collapsed, that they come over and take the Declaration of Independence and the Liberty Bell and the Statue of Liberty and go, you know, we should really take care. You guys really, you're not taking good care of this. We're gonna take this is gonna be our stuff now. You're
1: not taking the Declaration of Independence from Nick Cage. I don't care who you
0: are. Over <laughs> <laughs> well, it's cold dead hands. Well, it's two hundred years from now. So. Yeah. Hey, he'll- still be around damn well preserved <laughs> i know Nick Cage. and the other thing we hear is that there's some men who want to meet you some government people and i love his first reaction oh, what am i in trouble because <laughs> <laughs> clearly he has broken some laws you know uh, you studied under mm-hmm. professor ravenwood at the university of chicago yes i
2: did you have no idea of his present whereabouts
0: I think this government guy meeting is a textbook example of how to do good exposition in film because it's a pure exposition dump. I mean, it's like we're going to now tell you all the stuff you need to know in order to understand what this movie is about, what Indiana Jones is trying to do, what all the what the arc is, where it was kept, where it went, what the staff of raw is, what the headpiece is, how it works, what the map room works. All of it. Like we're gonna explain all of it. It's a lot of exposition. It is never boring. It's no, a...
3: it's done brilliantly. 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 And that's the first time we hear the Ark of the Covenant theme. Mm-hmm. Good God. Yes, that's just what the Hebrews thought.
0: Yep, yep. Which is and this is the thing we I think we did mention it four years ago, mm-hmm. but something we talked about in the Cinephiles a lot is this idea of a light motif. A light motif is a theme, a piece of music, and John Williams is the master. Yeah. Every time we mention or think about the arc, we will hear its theme. Every time we mention and think about Marion, we will hear her theme. Mm -hmm. There are themes throughout this film that we will hear that we're going to teach you about what's happening in the film.
3: And one of the government men we meet is played by William Hootkins, who was uh, Porkins from episode four. Oh. And also the detective in the 89 Batman.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, that's right. That's right.
1: Where you been been spending your nights.
0: (laughs) One of the key things with making this uh a dramatic scene is you got two FBI guys. They have really different personalities. Yeah. One guy is sort of slower and more cautious. The other guy is impatient and more aggressive. They have different feelings about whether or not they believe in this hocus pocus. You know, one guy sounds a little bit more nervous about it. The other guy's like, well, this is, we just need to get this thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, trusting and untrusting. And so what, what happens in the scene is the first thing that we find out is they're asking about. This guy, Abner Ravenwood. Mm-hmm. He seems to be an important guy. And again, we get another plant. He sa- Jones says, I haven't spoken to him in 10 years. We were friends, but had a falling out. Mm. And you could see in his, imp- his performance that there's something going on there. Right. And then what we find out is that they intercepted a German communique, and the communique says,
2: Tannis Development Proceeding. Acquire Headpiece, Staff of Ra, Abner Ravenwood, U.S.
0: And we see immediately from uh, Marcus in Indiana Jones that this is important. Nazis have discovered Tanis, And they ask the questions, what, what is this? And we find out, we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant which is where the Hebrews put the original 10 Commandments and it was in the temple in Jerusalem and that the temple was destroyed and the Ark disappeared and maybe it went to this place Tanis. And they go, okay, well, what's a headpiece of a staff raw? Well, it's, and again, this is just so well said is. Well, the staff is just a stick. I don't know, about this big.
2: Nobody really knows for sure how high it is.
0: Now, there's no reason for him to say that, except that that is planting this idea that's really important, that the height of the staff is going to be important. And then he says that what you're going to do is you take the staff, and he's drawing it on a blackboard, and you can watch Marcus watch Indiana Jones and see, like, he likes watching him work. He really admires him and his passion, and he says, okay, you stick it in the hole in the map room at a certain time of day, the sun's going to hit it, and light's going to stream down, and it's going to hit this thing, and that's going to tell you where the well of the souls itches, which is where they're keeping the Ark of the Covenant. Hmm. It, it, oh, and they say what? What does an archive of a government look like? And he says, "Oh, I just happen to have a picture of it in this book." <laughs> Haven't you guys ever been to Sunday school? <laughs> <laughs> Which is so. It's like you don't have. We don't know what that would have looked like, but he, he has a picture of it. He happens to have the book with him. Talk about prop design. This book is so cool. Got buckles
3: on the side. Buckles on it.
0: (laughs) Opens it up, and we see this picture of these people holding this staff and light streaming out of it, and people bow down, and they ask, what what is it? What is that? And this is the moment that we hear the arc theme. The first time we see it on paper, we hear the theme, and the response from the FBI guy who believes this stuff a little bit more is, good God, and Marcus says, yes, that's just what the Hebrews thought. <laughs> and, and they ask what the light is, and Indiana Jones says,
2: lightning. Fire. Power of God or something.
0: The or something is such an important line. Mm. Because it tells us that Indiana Jones does not believe. Mm. He doesn't care about that. Indiana Jones does not believe in magic. Yeah. Marcus does. And again, this is why this is a dramatic scene, even though it's pure exposition, because all these people have different opinions on what we're talking about. Yeah. And we hear that this arc is really powerful. They talk about it leveling mountains, and that's why Hitler wants it.
3: Which, having been to many Sunday school classes, I don't remember the story about the arc leveling a mountain. Nope, I don't either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's a really, really cool thing to say
0: in a movie. <laughs> totally. 100%. <laughs> it's later on, we're at Indy's house... Uh, Marcus shows up and says, you got it. They're going to pay you money to go get this Ark.
2: The Ark of the Covenant. Nothing else has come close. That thing represents everything we got into archaeology for in the first place.
0: I don't know what that is. What's so weird is that in the world of Indiana Jones, an archaeologist is a treasure hunter. Right. They're not a recorder of culture. And history, which is actually what an archaeologist is. They're just a person who hunts. And I think this really comes from the discovery in the 20s of Tutankhamun's tomb and this idea of there's this literal buried treasure filled with gold and stuff. And that the excitement was the discovery of the place, not the research and science and reconstruction of a civilization. That's Indiana Jones isn't so interested in that. (laughs) Deleted Uh, scenes. (laughs) Marcus says five years ago, I would have gone after it myself. This is the line that makes me so sad about what they did to Marcus in the third movie. <laughs> and it's totally hilarious. Yeah. But I'm a little sad that they made him such a ridiculous figure. <laughs> and, and we hear that he's going to go off to locate Abner and then he says... So she'll still be with him?" Possibly. And we hear Marion's theme. Marcus says, Marion's the least of your worries. What do you mean?
1: Well, I mean... The- Nearly 3,000 years, man has been searching for the lost Ark.
0: And now we hear the Ark theme. not something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets.
1: It's like nothing you've ever gone after before.
0: What's interesting to me is there are all these people that tell Indiana Jones that this is a really serious, magical, mystical thing, but he does not believe them or care. And I think that's, again, it's really good screenwriting, is that Marcus, Sala, and Belloc all believe that this is powerful, and Indiana Jones doesn't, and he says, oh,
2: Marcus, what are you trying to do, scare me? You sound like my mother. We've known each other for a long time. I don't believe in magic, a lot of superstitious hocus-pocus. I'm going after a find of incredible historical significance. You're talking about the boogeyman. <laughs> <laughs>
0: besides I'm a careful man and we see him throw a gun into the back
3: yeah <laughs> it's great which I think in the Indiana Jones timeline Temple of Doom actually takes place before yes Raiders of the Lost Ark is a pretty... so he's seen a the, the stones
0: a, a heart out <laughs> of a guy's chest
3: <laughs> so he knows there's actually magic in the world but it's something that that, that just didn't carry over into the next movie <laughs> right it's very forgetful <laughs>
0: <laughs> we jump on a Pan Am plane I love looking at the old plane and the way everything worked. Yeah. There's a dude reading a Life magazine who's very interested in him. Ronald Lacey. It is not. What? I what? thought it was, too. I thought it was Major Tote. Who, it's not Tote? No. Hmm. It is Dennis Murin, the head of ILM special effects. Wow. What? <laughs> yep. Oh, my gosh. There you I go. I always, until like wow. two days ago, I, I was with you. I thought it Your was. the world has been shattered. Yeah. You're learning me. Ah, that's what you do on the set of Files, You learn. The plane flies off and we go into that great superposition of the plane flying and the map. And that is just so what I think one of the things I I think is interesting about these movies is that in Raiders it is an homage to this other thing. And it's like creating the platonic ideal of what your experience of seeing these old cheesy cereals was as a kid, which later as an adult, you go like, Oh, these are ridiculous, but you didn't think they were ridiculous as a kid, you thought they were awesome. Yeah. This is creating that for real. Once you get, you know, Temple of Doom, Last Crusades, and there might be another film I'm not entirely familiar with, <laughs> um, is that then you're referencing Indiana Jones. You're no longer you know what I mean? Like it created it actually is so great that it creates a genre of its own. Yeah. And it's no longer referencing this other thing. Um, let's go to Nepal. There is a drinking contest. It's a perfect I actually teach this in my class, is that this is a one it's one shot. Mm-hmm. And it's not a fancy, it's not a really showy one, but the storytelling is so perfect. And if you watch how they get all the information in, Each shot, when people – how each side of the drinking contest are doing, when they're exchanging money, when they stop exchanging money, when she gets the strength to go, no, no, I can finish. She puts the glass down. The other guy goes to take it. His hand acting, which is one of those things that you have to direct, like how he grabs that thing, how he drinks it, his reaction, like how he smiles. Everyone thinks that he is one, and then he passes out, and then she stands up. All one shot, all beautifully, beautifully done and yeah. framed. Not showy, but really well done. Right. I believe that Marion Ravenwood's superpower is her incredible tolerance for alcohol. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Which does not make her an alcoholic. No. Not necessarily. The ability to consume mass amounts of alcohol does
0: not make you dependent. She knew when to stop. <laughs> <laughs> and she pops up. She is totally not drunk. Yeah, <laughs> And she says she's made a lot of money. She sends everyone out. Right. Well,
3: I always thought the guy that she's having the drinking contest with, I was like, this is like Nepalese Ned Beatty. Like, he looks strange. Looking he looks person. so much
0: like Ned Beatty to me. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I don't know the how they get him out. He's a big passed out guy. <laughs> Ten people, and she's cleaning up. She's looking at her money, and she is. In, uh, in the foreground, and a shadow appears on the wall. Again, Indiana Jones introduced with shadows and silhouettes. So great. And he says, hello, Marion. And she turns. Hello, Marion. And her reaction is great. Throws down the glasses. Because that's a lot to, walk, to turn around and see that person walk into her bar in the middle of Nepal.
3: Yeah, it's totally <laughs> a Humphrey
0: Bogart moment. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Indiana Jones.
3: Always
1: knew someday you'd come walking back through my door. I never doubted that. Something made it inevitable. So what are you doing here in Nepal?
0: And he immediately says, I want one of those pieces your father collected. And the moment of she's nice to him at first and he turns and looks away and that punch in the face (laughs) is so great.
1: I learned to hate you in the last 10 years.
2: I never meant to hurt you.
1: I was a child, I was in love. He was wrong, and you knew it. Yeah. Boom. How old was she? She's a, certainly a, a college student. He's a TA. She was over eighteen. I don't think so. You don't think so, you don't, you think really? she was supposed to be younger than twenty eight in this movie? Where is he a professor at? Is he a professor at the university?
0: The her dad? Well, that's a, I mean, Cause yeah. it sounds like he is. I don't know if he's a professor at this. I think he was a grad student. Oh, you so, yeah yeah you think so uh, I think Indy he, was. Yeah, Indy was. I my I always assumed she was sixteen, okay. But I I don't know. I think she was a freshman in college, and he took advantage. Yeah, because well, how old
3: is he supposed to be in this movie? If it's been ten years, yeah. So he's at least supposed to be thirty five, and I think he's only supposed to be a few years older than her. So I can't see how she
0: would have she would be under eighteen. I don't know. I was a child. I was in love. He says you knew what you were doing. It you just- knew what you were doing. I I. It, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. I, I think do. it's important. It establishes yeah. the relationship between them. And
1: yeah, because it's stuff that we would let slip by back then. Right. Yeah. But nowadays, we'd absolutely
0: concentrate on that. Well, and not, like... so, so part of, by the way, this is why they took out the scene of him actually fooling yeah. around with his students. Ooh. Because if he's fooling around with his students and she says, I was a child and I was in love, and he says, You knew what you were doing, <laughs> we're in a different sort of thing, oh, even yeah. in 1981. Hey Cinephiles, this is Steve jumping in just for a second because I couldn't stop thinking about Marion and Indy's relative ages and how old she actually was when they had their so-called affair. So I did a little more digging and here's what I found out. According to the original script, Marion is 25 when we meet her in Nepal and Indy is 37, which means that 10 years ago, Indy was 27 and Marion was 15. Now maybe that affects how you feel about this situation and maybe it doesn't. But I thought you'd like to know. Okay, back to the show.
2: I was a child. I was in love. It was wrong and you knew it.
0: You knew what you were doing.
2: Now I do. This is my place.
1: Get out.
0: I did what I did. You don't have to be happy about it, but maybe we can help each other out now. So, he broke up with her. He left her. He did. Right? He left her. Well, and this ended his relationship with his mentor. Right. Which, you know, they're definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And she was in love with him, clearly. mm Mm-hmm. And and the rest of the scene is just so well done. First of all the camera work. They're continually in different positions in the frame and they are moving, so they'll be in a in a in a over the shoulder and then someone will move and the camera will move with them and now they're in a two and then they're in an over the shoulder across the back and the, so they continually moves from one shot to another shot. It's actually really complicated filmmaking and it's really hard to edit. We also have this moment where he's asking where Abner is and then she says Abner's dead. All right. And this was his mentor and you see it hit him really hard Do
2: you know what you did to me in my life
0: i can only say i'm sorry so many times
2: let's <laughs> we'll say it again anyway
0: sorry i mean i think this is i think he was the great shattering experience of her life oh absolutely yeah i think this is what frustrates me the most well we'll get to that in just a little bit but yeah um and he's he's like i just need this it's a worthless brown medallion Are you gonna give it to me it's not a worthless brown medallion. He is definitely not telling the truth. He offers her three grand. She says, Well, that may get me back to the States, but not in style. And he says, It's important, Marion. Trust me. Mm. And he's in the an over the shoulder and she turns around to hit him in the face. He catches her hand and puts the money in it. Yeah. It's a great, great shot. And she says, Come back tomorrow. And he goes to exit. And as he goes to exit, the door has these slats in it, you know. And as he walks out, he turns back, and the light goes through the slats, and most of his face is in shadow, and you see his eye perfectly lit in that in that door through the slats. Yeah. I don't know how long that shot took. That is really, really, really hard to do. And he was made a film. Think about, you have a door you have to move. The light is coming through the door. You have to stop with your eye, within millimeters of the right position it has to be in exactly the right spot and the door has to be in exactly the right spot in order for the light to go through the door and catch your eye exactly right it is really really hard and this is what uh, you know we said at the beginning that going through the movie in order is the only way you can see the details yeah it's like it's a totally small moment that Spielberg said it's important enough to spend probably a lot of time getting it exactly right yeah. great moment and now she's alone. And we hear another one of our themes, which is sort of the, I I would call it the mystery theme, as she reaches in under her shirt on a chain and pulls out the headpiece for the staff of Raw. She had it the whole time. The whole time. Obviously, she knows it's pretty important. Yes. And there's, by the way, a continuity error where around her the chain is around her neck and in the next shot, it's not around her neck. Another beautiful shot, by the way, looking through the candle flame to her face, also really hard Mm -hmm. to do. And then she hangs the medallion on the lamp on the table Mm -hmm. and gets up and then the door opens and now the bad guys come in major tote (laughs) it's a great villain great
1: villain memorable as hell yeah and there have been many nazi villains yeah in there film yes he is in top three top five
0: i top have. three nazi villains yeah <laughs> t- that's a weird top ten show uh, hey hey <laughs> i mean hitler is number one right? well i'm no <laughs>
3: really, I, mean,
1: I guess you know <laughs> yes. in film though in film right right two is uh what uh, ray Fox. i Fines, guess sure. yeah yeah,
3: yeah. I actually have a shirt. Um, oh God! Was that it say it's a Nazi? Shirt no, no, no yeah. it's it's a Jesus. it's a Raider shirt. It's it's a it's a drawing of Tote and the guys coming in. And it's got a little dialogue bubble where it says, hey, hey, "We are not thirsty." Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, his, he's very much in that Peter Lorre sort of tradition of yeah. the breathy, kind of scary, creepy guy, and probably. and smaller guy. And, yeah. and they say they're after the same thing that her friend Mister Jones wanted. Mm. And, and at first, she thinks she can play some have play some power in this scene you know she could negotiate them two off each other and get more for it that's not how this is gonna go
1: (laughs) i don't know what kind of people you're used to dealing with nobody tells me what to do
2: in my place let me show you what i am used to
0: (laughs) and they grab her there's a great top-down shot that pans off her and goes to him at the fire, which he's been, you know, keating up with the poker, and he pulls out the red-hot poker, and suddenly Marion is scared. Isn't it a close-up shot, too, where you see, like, kind of the sweat on his face? And the, oh,
1: yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah.
0: it builds the tension even more. This guy is really a maniacal and big. Mov- yeah, and he's moving closer to her and mm-hmm. closer to her, and he has got it right next to her face, and she says, I'll tell you everything. And he says,
1: yes, <laughs> I know you
0: will. Yep. <laughs> That is scary. (laughs) And then the whip. And here's something I didn't know. This is Spielberg's first gunfight. Really? This is the first real gunfight he ever shot. That makes sense. And it is a great one. They counted it all out like music. And it's really a dance. You could see like that. This happens in this episode. The storytelling is excellent. Yeah. It's really exciting. And again, that idea of from Jaws of like what sells is being inventive. How many inventive things are there in this gunfight? Yeah. From the fire, from the gun, the, the barrel getting shot and Marion taking a swig out of it, <laughs> from Indy, who's kind of getting knocked down as being shaked by a guy, and he, he says to her. Whiskey, and she gives him a bottle, and he breaks the bottle on somebody from the guy he's grabbed, and the and the and and Tote says, "Shoot them, shoot them both." <laughs> and then he has a moment. This is another Indiana Jones thing, which is the sudden alliance with a bad guy. You know, where he takes that guy's gun and now shoots that guy, yeah. and then takes out the guy that he had the sudden alliance with. There's so many, so many great moments.
3: And did you know that uh, Tote's the biggest henchman, the biggest Sherpa that's with him is Pat Roach, who is also the German mechanic.
0: And also, oh. and also shows up in Temple of Doom.
3: Yeah, and also shows up in Last Crusade. In Last Crusade, Crusade. Really? got cut. Yeah. <laughs> oh.
0: um, the Ratzenberg, yeah. John Ratzenberg of the... <laughs> and then Tote sees the medallion. Yeah. And he goes over, and, and what we should say is, you know, fire is starting to go all over Marion's place from the whiskey and the table is burning, the medallion is sitting in the fire, and he runs up, grabs it, it burns him, he drops it, he runs screaming out of the room, puts his hand in the snow this might be one of the greatest plants and payoffs in movie history.
3: Yeah, and also a funny moment.
0: And a funny moment. Because it's very cartoonish, ha, 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 until he plunges his hand in the snow. Um, and, and Well, the thing, too, is that that's a good plant can never feel like a plant. It has to feel like just an entertaining moment in the scene. If it felt like a plant then you would remember it, and the payoff doesn't work. The worst example of this, I mean, it's not the worst example, but I remember in Lost World, the Jurassic Park sequel, where you see the girl doing gymnastics yeah. at the beginning oh. of the movie, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is coming back. Just randomly We're doing We're just going to say, that's going to come back. Ugh. Well, if you go, oh, that's going to come back, that's bad. Mm-hmm. It's when you don't think about it, and it comes back, that it's good. One more thing I want to talk about is Indiana Jones's punch. <laughs> It is one of the most iconic punch sounds in film. They didn't want to use libraries Ben, you know, Ben didn't want to do something that had been done before. They recorded Everything. They hit you know sides of beef with crowbars. They took bananas and broke them on, you know, car hoods. They did everything. Finally, what they came to was a bunch of leather jackets and baseball gloves and whacking them with a baseball bat.
3: (laughs) One also hit the sound of Indiana Jones's revolver. Oh yeah. That is a rifle. It's
0: a twenty a 2020 (laughs) rifle. Yeah. It because no way does a handgun make that kind of And then finally, we fought through all. There's this one moment where there is a guy pointing a gun right at Indiana Jones, got him dead to rights. He's obviously going to die. And then, bang! There's a gunshot, and I love Harrison Ford's reaction because it's like, "I'm dead." Yeah, <laughs> Take a hit. <laughs> and then that guy falls down, and there is Marion behind him with the gun.
2: Well, Jones, these jabs forgotten how to show a lady a good time. Boy, you're
1: something. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Until I get back my five thousand dollars, you're going to get more than you bargained for.
0: You goddamn it's great <laughs> yeah
1: also how can i say this correctly it's such you it's it's as good of an intro to a character as indies is totally marion ravenwood what happens to her progressive through the film is where i now looking back have issues with the movie because this is a woman that can handle her shit oh yeah she is no damsel in distress She's no someone you got to put in a white dress and kind of block to the side for a majority of the movie. And this is 1980s thinking. You know, you introduce her, you make her a badass, then she stayed a ba- stays a badass in people's minds, but you don't really give her any more badass stuff to do for the rest of the movie. And it's frustrating.
3: I don't know if I would necessarily agree with that.
0: We'll see. There's the rest of the movie to talk about. <laughs> and I'll keep pointing it out. Well, and I think this is probably a good time for us to take a break oh. and hear a word from our sponsors. Great. Can I go pee now? Well, welcome back because we have arrived in Cairo. Cairo, city of the living, a paradise on Earth. I love John Reese Davis so much. And, and and he's so and this was my first introduction to him. And I think right around this time is when he did Shogun. Yes. And he plays Rodriguez in Shogun. And it's like those two things which I watch but like he's just one of my favorite people.
3: Well it was based off of his role in Shogun that Spielberg discovered. Oh, is that it. what this is from? Yeah. Oh, because wow. he originally you know he originally wanted Danny DeVito. I didn't know this. that. That oh, was that was his first God. pick for Sala was Danny DeVito. Oh um, I'm so glad that... <laughs> Some people say it was Taxi that kept him from doing it, and other people say it was Romancing the Stone. I don't know the timeline well enough.
1: 80s TV is no joke.
3: But,
0: yep. (laughs) Again.
3: It's no joke. But when he couldn't get Danny DeVito, he saw Shogun, and he's like, oh, I want, oh, I want this guy. And the first time that they met, uh, John Reese davis was like, "I, I, I don't what do you want? Because it says Saul is five foot two and skinny. He's like, he's like, I just want Shogun with Falstaff. (laughs) He's like, I
0: got it. Great combo. That's that's great. That's great. And we see Marion, she's all dressed in white and we're looking out over Cairo, which is not Cairo because we are back in Tunisia. We've done just coincidentally two movies in a row. We just finished Life of Brian. Right. Shot in Tunisia. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things they decided was that, and this came from Spielberg, but also was the location scout is, that they wanted smaller Cairo, because Spielberg wanted the geography to be really clear, which it, which it is in the film. And so they just have a much smaller version of a city, because Cairo in 1980 looked nothing like Cairo in the 30s, and so this all kind of works out in a lot of different
3: ways. Whatever the name of the town where they shot, whatever the name actually is, the name is escaping me, mm-hmm. but um, it is translated
0: to Little Cairo. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, and there's a monkey here. Where did this cute oh. monkey come from? I love the moment where Marion doesn't actually like the monkey, but is trying to say something nice about the monkey. <laughs> and then the mom says, well, then it's welcome in this house. It's like, no.
2: <laughs> I knew the Germans would hire you, Sala. You're the best digger in Egypt. My services are entirely inconsequential to them.
0: They're hired or shanghaied every digger in Cairo. The excavation is enormous. And talks about this huge, huge dig. Um, and there's nobody, no one has a brain there, except this one guy who has a French accent. He's very clever. Beloche.
3: Beloch. Beloch. Beloch.
0: And they are very near to finding the well of souls. And we go, well, we're not gonna find it without this. And he holds out his headpiece of the staff of Raw, and that we're gonna try to find someone who can look at the markings. And then Sala says, Indy, the, there is something that troubles me. What is it? The ark. If it is there, Tanis, then it is something that man was not meant to disturb. Death has always surrounded it. It is not of this earth. And again, we have this other character who's a believer that this is serious, but Indy doesn't really care. Nope. Cut to uh, Marion and Indy walking with the monkey, which she is now kind of in love with and makes jokes about this being their child, which is funny. And then the monkey runs away, which she's a little upset for. I love the last moment.
2: She'll be all right. Have a
0: date.
2: (laughs) What's this? It's a date. You eat them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And where does the monkey go? Up to this one-eyed motorcycle guy that is obviously his owner. And he is talking to some Nazis. And they give the the Nazi salute, and the monkey gives the Nazi salute. (laughs) And they start to respond. You wanna know who was the second unit director directing this scene? George Lucas. Hey! George Lucas directed this.
1: Uh, uh, Can I be a part of this?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've got an idea. I've got an idea. It's a monkey. um, And we're heading through the marketplace, and the one eyed guy spots Marion. And kind of points her out, and the Nazis who are up in some room send off their guys uh, in white clothes and black turbans to go out and get them. And we're going to head into another action sequence. Yeah. Here's what I find interesting about this scene, is that, you know, spoiler alert, there's going to be a very sad ending to this. The music is super fun and light, and it's interesting that we're heading towards something that's really dark, when this whole sequence is really fun Mm. and silly. Well, it really tees it up for hope.
3: Yeah, I mean you don't you're not you're not expecting the for her to meet her fate the way it seems that she does. Yeah.
0: Um I love the way Indiana Jones fights. He's not a martial artist. <laughs> he is a really good fighter. And it's really but it's always gonna be scrappy, but and kind of fun. You know, like there's moments where he gets out of the way and one of the guys skewers another guy, and fruit ends up on the sword that he <laughs> yeah. skewers him with. And he pulls it out and the sword, the fruit falls. There's, you know, he pushes Marion down and punches a guy. There's a lot of fun, fun stuff. Um, he throws Marion on a cart. Here's a point. There's a point. Let's get rid of Marion. Marion can kick ass
1: too. This happens throughout the movie. Yeah. She gets sidelined throughout the whole movie after her introduction. It's super frustrating to watch because why? Cuz in uh, Harrison Ford is the lead, she is not. So they do this throughout the whole movie. There's no reason she shouldn't be kicking ass as well. There's no way she doesn't kick ass in 2020 with with Harrison by her side.
3: Maybe, but also she's not armed at this point. He he has, a whip. Whip. He has a whip. He has a whip. He has a whip. She doesn't have anything. He just has a whip. She, yeah, but he's very good with the whip. No, he has yeah. a whip and a gun. And he has a he has a handgun. Okay. She
0: has nothing. She, guys, that's what I'm saying. These she guys picks all have nothing. up a pan, and she does take out a guy. What guy? Yeah, uh, I. So With a pan. Here, here, here's here's where I, I I'm not sure that I agree. Is that now? I certainly agree that our sensibilities about male and female roles have changed, and I certainly agree that the preponderance of damsels in distress. Throughout the entirety of film history, yeah. is something that we are trying to reverse today, and I think that's good. But I also don't think that n- not all people have to be kicking ass. No, but you I'm know? saying
1: it's you, people love this movie as much, and I always have. I, I I think over the last few years, I've watched it. I've noticed that they they made a conscious effort. To kind of put her... To, the same thing happens to Kate Capshaw all through no,
3: Temple that's of Doom.
0: She She's a damsel in distress. She is right. a fool, and she is made to be ridiculous throughout that. That is one of the big problems of the film.
1: And, but uh, to, to be honest with you, I don't mind that because that's consistent throughout the film. Mm. Yes, it's not the best way to portray a woman in a film, absolutely, but she is that. With Marion, you have this awesome intro, but then she's constantly being captured, put in a white dress paraded around these things that frustrate me as i watch the
0: movie she's captured once. She's, yep. captured once. she's captured one she's right but then she's kept as some kind of trophy there's something that came up when we talked about john hughes mm. which is that in when we talked about breakfast club there's that great molly ringwald article about mm. about the uh role of women the relationship with bender to uh claire in the film right and how is that and 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 This is some of what she said in the article, and then what I really feel is that if you look at Breakfast Club and, like, this guy is totally abusive to this woman, ends up between her legs, then uh, says terrible things to her, and they end up together, there is things where we can look at it and go, like, ah, that's kind of a messed up model. But if you look at that film in context of what other teen films are going on in 1983... That movie, he had totally well-developed, sensitive female characters in leading roles. Mm-hmm. And so for the time, it's really advanced. And so what I think about this film is that they created a hard-drinking, tough, aggressive, badass female character in 1981, right. and she did not kick ass in the way you would like her to. Right. But to me, for the time, Marion Ravenwood's kind of groundbreaking. Well, also- That's groundbreaking? We've just had Alien with Ellen Ripley 100% and before that
1: we had Barbara Stanwyck and uh, we had Betty Davis we we had plenty of tough women throughout the history of film for me that's what was bothered me about this film is they went back to the 40s and they a little bit because I like Mary and Raven. it's one of my favorite characters in the indie series and I hate that they don't let her because juxtapose that with what happens in Crystal Skull she's kicking all kinds of ass in Crystal Skull she doesn't let I'm not familiar with that film (laughs) that's a great way to segue never mind let's keep going I apologize See, we don't want to get bogged down in this. I just have feelings
0: about it. That's all. <laughs> Marion goes and hides in a basket. The monkey sees her hides in a basket. Mm-hmm. The monkey, she's trying to go go away. The monkey screams. Because, by the way, it's a bad monkey. Nazi monkey. Nazi monkey. <laughs> yeah. Um, Indy's looking for uh, Marion and the crowd's part. <laughs> There is a big guy in black with a big sword, yeah. and he spins it around. And I remember <laughs> seeing, sitting in the theater, like, "Now we're gonna get it. We're gonna get the big sword fight, and the it's gonna be the greatest action sequence I've ever seen." <laughs> and Indy pulls the gun and kills him. <laughs> <laughs> Again, one of the most iconic moments in film history
1: because it just goes because it, it gets to the trend of what we'd seen in so many other films that this is where we lead to a big old badass fight. Boom! Just undercut it with which a lot of people complain about and say, "Why don't you just shoot him?"
0: He did just shoot him. Yeah, it's right. great. Yeah. Well, and this comes from the fact that by by the way, a lot of people got sick on this movie, including yeah. Harrison Ford. They did choreograph a huge fight scene. You could even see some footage of them practicing to do the huge fight scene. And this, I believe, is a Harrison Ford idea. Yeah, he says, "Why don't I just shoot him?"
1: <laughs> and That's, it's the so stunt guy's like, "Oh, I had a whole thing."
0: He is. He is. I forget All his right. name.
1: It, Pat, <laughs> Pat Roach.
3: It's the same. It's the Sherpa oh, guy. Is oh, it is really the same guy? Ah!
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Now he's off to look for Marion, and she is getting carried away by the bad guys in the basket. It happens to be laundry day in Tannis. Apparently, because he comes around a corner, and there is dozens of people with those baskets. Mm -hmm. And again, musically, it's really fun. He's running up. He's pulling down these baskets one after another, trying to find Marion. And then he comes around a corner. A machine gun opens fire on him. And they throw Marion in a truck, and in the truck is a bunch of explosives. Yeah, And this is maybe the first moment where, you, I, but even then, I think it's still handled like this is all kind of fun. Yeah, he, he comes out, the truck is driving, he opens fire, shoots the guy on the side of the truck, shoots the driver. The truck flips over and explodes. Yeah. Uh, by the way, they say this is the most dangerous stunt in the movie no one had ever flipped a five ton truck before Ooh. and this is done they have like the big cannon basically that shoots you know and it's it's a bomb basically under the truck that makes it flip over and they didn't know exactly how much gunpowder they needed to use <laughs> to flip a five ton truck but every, everyone was fine I also think I'm not 100% sure I think this is the last shot of the movie oh, wow. is this particular stunt um, there's a pickups later on but I think this is the last thought of the, of the main thing and we hear Marion's theme Marion, And suddenly, it's like, oh, shit. Mm. To this day, I still don't quite know how Marion's not in that truck. You know what I mean? Like, uh, we see them put it in their truck, and there is no time before they blow up the truck. Well... They like doing that, George Lucas, in his movies. <laughs> how is Chewbacca not in that transporter? I
3: mean, I'm uh, just saying. Uh, don't, bl- don't blame that one on Lucas. Though. I'm just saying.
1: <laughs> there are certain things that happen, and you're right. It, you, know, it's never explained to you how that's possible that she's not in the, in the truck.
0: Indy is drinking with a monkey. He's clearly been drinking a lot. We hear Marion's theme. The camera pushes in. We see that one-eyed motorcycle guy again, and some German guys come up, and they want to speak to Indiana Jones, and he walks with his bottle to this cafe or something, and there is Belloc.
3: Belloc. Good afternoon, Dr. Jones. I ought to kill you right now. Not
0: a very private place for a murder? Well, these Arabs don't care if we kill each other, they're not going to interfere in our business. This scene is really good. It's really good.
1: I see your taste in friends remains consistent.
0: Referring to the monkey. <laughs> And then we get into this conversation and Indy's sort of in the foreground and he's looking to the side. We're in a profile shot with Belloc in the background. Indy's just a tiny, tiniest bit of eye light, which I think is just beautifully shot. Uh, and then what Belloc is talking about is that they are very much alike.
3: Archaeology is our religion. Yet we have both <coughs> fallen
0: from the pure faith. Our methods have not differed as much as you pretend. I am a shadowy reflection of you. I really do think that their setup of Indiana Jones was darker in this movie than what he is in Last Crusades. Don't take only a nudge to make you like me, to push you out of the light. Now you're getting nasty. <laughs> and then Belloc takes out a watch and he says, look at this. $10 from a vendor in the street, but I buried in the sand for a thousand years and it becomes priceless like the Ark. I don't think it becomes priceless like the Ark. <laughs> the Ark is where God yeah. has the Ten Commandments. That's a cheap watch. It might be more valuable, but it does not become like the Ark.
2: What about your boss, Der Fuhrer? I thought he was waiting to take possession. All in good time. When I'm finished with it. Jones, do you realize what the Ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for
0: speaking to God. This is the third person who's now telling Indiana Jones that this is this mystical thing.
1: Like Han Solo. I don't believe in the force or any of that
0: stuff, kid. Totally. There's a a connection here with both of these characters. Interesting. Well, and this is the thing, too, is is that you don't want to enter into a world where it's like, Everyone goes, yeah, I totally believe in werewolves. Yeah. You want to enter in the world where the main characters are going, come on. Right. There's no such thing as werewolves because that's us. Right. Because we don't live in a world where there are mystical things happening all the time. And so in order to kind of bring us to it, you need to have a character who represents us. Who isn't a believer? Right. You know, like I mean, yes, you could make a movie where everybody knows there's vampires and we are all believing in vampires. But it's more fun to have take someone like us and have them have to accept the fact that they're vampires. Yeah. You want to talk to God? Let's go see him together. I've got
3: nothing better. To do.
0: And it ends up all those Arabs that he thought wouldn't care what they do to each other. They all have guns. And this is going to get really bad. And then in we hear Indy, Indy, Indy. And in walks solace kids who brings them out. I thought I would find you there. Better than the United States Marines, eh? And all the guys with guns come out. And they kind of laugh. And and Indy tells him Marion's dead. Yes, I know. Uh, I'm sorry. But life goes on, Indy wow it's pretty fast so well she just blew up in a truck like an hour ago dude egypt's a different world i was gonna say the middle east is a whole nother ball
1: game i mean america's all precious about it
0: middle east a little more used to this kind of
3: stuff one of my kids died this morning i mean yeah yeah. thanks you don't
1: see me crying about it
0: um and the one small detail is that the monkey is with him and the monkey looks to the one-eyed guy the one-eyed guy goes this is a smart monkey. Yeah. Those Nazi monkeys are smart. <laughs> and now we're at the guy who's going to translate the, uh, the headpiece. And the first thing we see is a kid who's preparing the dates. And then we see one-eyed guy come in and pour something on the dates. It's an important piece of storytelling. I thought it was hot sauce the first time I (laughs) (laughs) saw I'm like, oh, You don't put hot sauce on dates. He's seasoning the food. (laughs) Now, now wrapping dates in bacon and maybe having the nice piece of uh, Roquefort inside. That's delightful. Delicious. Yeah. Now we hear another piece of information. How is it that they have a staff of raw? I don't understand. I tell you only what I saw with my own eyes. A headpiece like that one. Uh, Except around the edges, which were rougher. In the center, the Frenchman had embedded a crystal and... And surrounding the crystal, on one side, there were raised markings, just like that one. Writing on one side. <laughs> um, and, and he picks up a date, and he's playing with it. And you got he plays with that date for a long time. This is very Hitchcockian, I think, which is that we all know a thing. We're ahead of the character in the movie, yeah. but the characters don't know it. We're like, don't oh, that date, there's something wrong with the dates. And now we go to see the old guy who's a great, great character, has a great voice, and he tells us- Very cartoony. (laughs) That exactly the height that the thing should be, which is, it's six Kadam, which is 62 inches, but then you turn it over and it says here we should take back one Kadam to honor the Hebrew God. And right as he says that, wind blows through. Hmm. Again, just giving little hints that there's something mystical happening, and Indy realizes you said the headpiece only had markings on one side. The staff is too long, and together they say, They're They're digging digging in in the the wrong wrong place. place. (laughs) And Sala starts singing, and India's happy. He throws up the date. It goes up in slow motion, and then out of nowhere, a hand catches it and says, Bad dates. And we look over, and the monkey is dead.
1: The Nazi monkey's dead. Not yes. as smart as you thought, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Indirectly, his owner killed him. That's right.
0: Wow. <laughs> Dumb Nazi monkey. Um, <laughs> we're off of the dig. This was shot in the Sahara Desert, 120 degrees in the shade. Ooh, damn. They, drank, they had 600-plus extras in casts. a huge, huge wow. suit. They drank over 5,000 gallons of water a day. Wow. And you just think about, like, they had to transport 5,000 gallons of water a day just to keep this crew hydrated. It's a brutal shoot. Lots of people with dysentery. Apparently, John Reese davis shat his pants <laughs> in the middle of a shot <laughs> which sounds embarrassing but it's also like that as an actor who is willing to i mean i've had i have not had dysentery but i've had intestinal issues i sure. can't imagine having to be on camera feeling something happening <laughs> and trying to continue the scene right that is commitment. Well, I think
3: because of the discomfort, the whole Tunisian shoot, which I want to say was six weeks. Um, well, this is the Sahara, so this is not Tunisia, but yes. But the the everything in the des- desert was scheduled for six weeks, mm. and Spielberg did it in four and a half Yeah, because <laughs> right. of the conditions.
1: Yeah. I can't take this we,
3: shit no more.
0: Well, yeah. it's funny, because that was just what my note is, is that the leadership and planning and organization of Spielberg and the team to do this is amazing, and to actually get out Early, yeah, and this movie was completed ahead of schedule and under budget. You know, like, th- and and this is where I think, like, the guy who made Jaws and the guy who made Close Encounters in nineteen forty one, this this is like the Spielberg going forward mm-hmm. is that he did mature and learn a lot about how to do this the right way. You know, through not that those aren't great films. And Bellick is there, and our other Nazi, who is Dietrich, uh, is upset, and Bellick is saying, "Look, archaeology is not an exact
1: science." Does not deal in time schedules. The Fuhrer is not a patient man. He demands constant reports, and yet makes progress.
0: And one of the interesting things I'd never thought about before is that Indiana Jones has a specific bad guy structure, which is there's the premier bad guy, which is Belloc, and then there's the two sort of secondary ones. And the same is true in uh, Temple of Doom, and it's true in Last Crusades is that they're like primary and secondary, which is sort of an interesting kind of way of thinking about Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And now we see Indy and Sala, and they go to find the map room, and they go up this hill, uh, and we hear the chanting of the diggers, and I love the sort of sly stand next to the the hole, drop the staff in, (laughs) and then Sala lowers him down, and Indy goes in, and we're inside the map room, and now we're at L Street Studios in London, which is where all the interiors were shot, Mm. Uh, and we hear the arc theme. And I love the way this whole sequence is set up. It's slow. It's painstaking. You see the details. You see the holes. You see him with his brush trying to find the right hole, him looking in his book. And I really think like this is one of the things that's lost today in movies is the patience because this. What do, this film delivers happens because we spend a lot of time setting up the details. Yeah, and you're watching, going, "Oh, what are those holes are for?" And then you're kind of going, "Oh, I bet it's for the dates. Like, what date do you put the staff in? Because the sun's going to be in a different place." Harrison Ford is a great actor to watch. I think, mm. yeah. like he's that's a, a great, great guy to see contemplate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's a really good point. And Sala's is standing outside, getting a little bit nervous, and inside, Indy attaches the headpiece, and the music is building, and he puts the staff into a hole and the sun is lowering and we hear the arc theme and the camera booms down from the staff to Indy's face and we see light moving down on the on the miniatures because we see all the, the structure of the maps beautifully done yeah. and we see a red dot which is from the center of that headpiece and the music is building and then a, the sun hits at just the right spot and as the music climaxes a beam of light shoots out of the headpiece down to a specific spot on the map, and we hear Indy's reaction, and I can still remember seeing this in the theater. (laughs) And it's it's funny, because thinking of it, particularly today, this is not an impressive special effect, but like the The climax of that light hitting that spot with the music is amazing. The camera placement is what really sells it, right? Totally. Down below watching this happen and it just
1: lights the whole area. You're just like, this is incredible. And the way Indy's dressed, the whole nine of it, uh, because it's a
0: clean place for it to happen to, so you can focus on what's happening. smart. Outside, the Nazis are talking to Salah. What are you doing up here? Mm-hmm. And they tell, tell him to come down, and he runs down. I love that he fall, he tumbles yeah, going no. down the hill. That's tough to do with dysentery. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: God, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Obviously, maybe that's when he evacuated. Right? <laughs> Very
0: possible.
1: <laughs> oh, Lord, Jesus, help <laughs> Oh,
0: Indy, why do my bowels move? <laughs> That is not a small man. That is not <laughs> a small man. Um, uh, inside, in, he's taking measurements. He breaks the staff. He calls for Sala. Sala! Again, good acting. It's like, how do you yell quietly? No response. Uh, true. <laughs> and eventually, down, down comes a rope that hits him in his face. And the last thing on the rope is the Nazi flag. Yeah. Uh, another little fun thing where they're walking by and the Nazis are having lunch and wants water and Indy's like not. It's all like, oh, you want water? I'll get you water. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. I'll take care of it. Uh-huh. And Indy's trying to escape all the Nazis. He spins away. He tries to hide into a tent. There's Marion. She's not dead. And again, again, it's all the details is that he sees the woman that he really cares about is alive and is going towards her, but his face is covered and she sees some bad guy. mm mm-hmm then realize it's him they embrace and she's like great get me out of here he pulls out his knife he's about to cut her free and he goes
2: i know where the ark is Marianne. He looks here. well i'm coming with you jones get me out of here cut me loose you can't leave right. me
0: here i'll take you out of here now i will start combing the place for us and he thinks about it and he puts away his knife and he puts the gag back in her mouth and she is screaming at him says are you crazy and he says stay here i'll come back and he leaves you had a strong reaction to this moment. I'm just saying these are more is more evidence of sidelining
1: her throughout the movie. It's fr- it's super frustrating to watch. I wouldn't say it's a filmmaking
3: decision to sideline her. I think it's a character decision because he knows if I
1: rescue her now, I can't get the thing. Right, but it's written that way so that she's stuck in the situation to be in the situation for him to be like, I'm going to put the gag back in your mouth. That's what I'm saying. They write the character into this situation so that she can't fight she, they tie her up to a pole and then we're going to see it a little bit later they put a white dress on her and parade her around so to me those are those little things it's it's not about character it's the way it's written it's written in the script for this to happen so well, to me that's, that's where that's my the problem. character
0: is coming from is how things are written in sure
1: script. sure but you're you're no he's speaking about it like this works for her character and i'm saying no 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 he's, he's saying indy's character
0: that's what i'm getting
1: at everything works for indy that's my whole well, point she's the main she's character moved of the aside. movie well, he's it's not same. called Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's called It, it is now. A, yeah, right. That's true. <laughs> that is true. That's fair point. <laughs> Harley Quinn, birds of prey. Because, it's, uh, it's Raiders of the Lost
0: Ark, for God's sake. Raiders is plural. He's still the main character. And and Yeah, and, of course he is. Of course is. Well, and and, and to, to your point is that I totally agree. Is that this is a character defining moment. In almost any other movie, you rescue the girl. And what Indiana Jones does he rescue and, her and girl. what Indiana yeah. Okay. <laughs> and what Indiana Jones does. I'm just saying. Is is to say because what are his values? Right. The arc is more important than the girl. Once again, showing you that he is still willing to hurt her the way he did when he left her. She is not as important as what he wants. What he yes. needs, these pursuits well, well, of the hold girl. on, hold on. Well, so so we could pull this apart a little bit more than that. Yeah. Because because what he thinks and we could say this is about his pursuit for the goal. What he thinks is that this two thousand year yeah. old religious artifact, which is about to go into the hands of the Nazis, point. that that her life, I'm willing to sacrifice your life, who I care about, for mm-hmm. that thing, mm-hmm. you know. And what's interesting is by the time we get to Last Crusades, things have changed. Yeah, you know, and 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 so, but it is a because cl- Indiana Jones is a hard guy on on some levels. Mm. Like he is not a touchy feely warm and fuzzy guy exactly like he 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 cares about her up to a certain point but in the in the there's there's a great moment in the west wing which i love which is in the first season leo's having leo's the chief of staff played by john spencer and he's having trouble with his marriage and because he's spending all this time Mm -hmm. in the white house and he comes home and the wife says Our marriage is in trouble. I need you to do these things. And he goes, I'm not, I can't do that. I have to go deal with, you know, problems in the Middle East or whatever it is. And Leo says, this job is important. And she says, it's not as important as your marriage. And he says, yes, this job is more important than my marriage. While I'm doing this, this is more important. Right. And that is an amazing scene, and that is a scene that you never see because no one—we're never supposed to say that. Right. And in this moment, Indiana Jones is saying the ark is more important than you. He's right. not saying I don't care about you. Right. He's saying the ark is more important. Right. That's an amazing moment. He say "My desire for the ark is more." Important. Well, that's—I think—that's a totally valid mm. framing of it, but. But, you know, how can we separate what we think is important and what we think and our desire for what we think that's is important?
1: Like none of the Nazis are made to look this way until the end. That's what frustrated Marion could have been just as equal as Sala isn't made to look this way. until. And it's the thing that's frustrating what they do with Marion overall in the movie. But, you know. I don't want to keep banging on the drum. I'm just saying. When the
0: moments happen, as I said at the beginning, I would tell you when they were happening. Right. <laughs> anyway. And Harrison's out. He's got a survey device. And again, as he pans across the area, when he gets to the the ridge that is where the Ark is, we hear the Ark theme. Yeah. And we know that he's found it. And Bellick is now with the Nazis, who are still dissatisfied. And he's still kind of saying, well, maybe we can find it. And they're going, maybe the girl can help she might know something if she's properly motivated and he is defending the girl this is the one soft part of Belloc, where yep. he's he is well he is a bastard in all sorts of ways not where the pretty ladies are concerned
1: he's still a gentleman to a degree
0: yeah to a degree i'm surprised to find you squeamish that is not your reputation but it needn't concern you i am the perfect man for this kind of work and up major tote who says heil hitler and when he lifts his hands up there is the scar. And we see why the not... They, the, I can't talk.
3: <laughs> you <laughs> we, see the impression
0: of the burned amulet. Yeah. I I can remember being in the theater and just screaming. Like, what an amazing moment to see it. And it's totally unexpected. Except if you own the Blu-ray of oh. this, when you put it in and you put it in the menu and they show little video clips of the movie in the background of the menu, one of them is him holding his hand up and seeing the burn. Mm. I think that is so fucking horrible, and I cannot believe that they allowed a spoiler, a huge spoiler, oh. to be in the menu of a Blu-ray. Mm, I'd be surprised if you buy the Blu-ray before having seen the movie. That's a, that's uh, a small I, number. I don't care. No, but, but here's the thing. So that's true, yeah. but I showed Lock Stark to Jax. Fair enough. He already knew. Okay. And he said, oh, I bet that, because he said when he got burned, oh, that's how he got the scar. Look, it's your fault for having a smart kid. I don't know what you're doing. T- that is my
1: fault. <laughs> I, yeah,
3: because I would think, like, if you have the... I, I don't own the Blu-ray for Wizard of Oz, but yeah. I imagine that menu's in color.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's But that's not a huge I don't spoiler think alert. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, I wanted to go along with you, and I was like, no, that's not a spoiler.
3: <laughs> and Marianne is in Sideline. Finally, we're talking speaking the same language.
0: <laughs> Finally. Finally. Um. <laughs> Uh, Indy and the guys go up onto that ridge. We hear the arc music. Um, he gets on top of the ridge, and we see behind him that huge dig, um, and he's got just a few guys, and he grabs one shovel, and he starts to dig. When I studied Spielberg at Florida State for that semester
1: in the summer, uh, one of the things I never knew as I was studying, the professor was very clear about this, Spielberg is very obsessed with the sun, and the sun, mm. and what it symbolizes, and what it represents. And you watch a movie, there's almost always a shot of the sun in some way that factors into the movie, either to give you a mood or to impress you with his vision, but the sun is very important in all of his films.
0: You That's could almost say that he's built like an empire of the sun. Hey! hey. Steve Morris,
3: ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. <Steve Morris. laughs> Thank you, I'll be here all week.
0: <laughs> and then we cut to later that incredible, Favorite gorgeous the silhouette, sunset, of Indy taking off his other stuff and putting on the hat, becoming Indiana Jones in his silhouette. It is unbelievable. So when we said we were going to redo Raiders of the Lost Ark with a serious deep dive, you knew there was no way we could fit it all in one episode. But while you wait, you can visit us on our Facebook page. Just do a search for The Cinephiles. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or YouTube, Spotify. Please leave your comments on YouTube and your reviews on iTunes. They're super important. To support the show, you can visit patreon.com slash The Cinephiles. You can buy or stream Raiders of the Lost Ark at cinephiles.net. You could follow the show on Twitter at Cine underscore files on Instagram at the Cinephiles podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at SR Morris on Instagram at SR Morris one. John, of course, is at the Roka says. Thanks very much to our special guest. who You can find at Shannon underscore McClung and all three of us will see you next time for the conclusion of Raiders of the Lost Ark on the Cinephiles.